Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Welcome to Revolution Church Minneapolis. That's Brian coming at you again, like always. This is our second week at uh, Bryant Lake Bowl. Uh, excited to be here once again. Uh, kind of um, kind of getting used to the digs. It's always weird because when Jay and Caleb were here doing the Revolution, I got to speak, I don't know, like three or four times throughout the years. But now doing it every Sunday, uh, it's not not nerve wracking. But you're like, oh, I got some got some big shoes to fill. Uh, so yeah, um, I would not be a good Minnesotan unless I talked about weather, because that's kind of like my shtick, right? Right, Curtis? It's, it's Minnesotans, it's Midwesterners. Uh, yeah, it's it's warm again, but uh, we it's supposed to snow tomorrow, which is not cool because today it's in the 50s tomorrow's supposed to be like 35 i don't think it's supposed to be shovelable snow because travis and i know what it's about to shovel because we work together so let's hope that we don't have to shovel um yeah the other thing is people know that i like to do is kind of do some recommendations because you know we all are living a little covid life uh and we have a lot more time. Not many people are getting together doing big things as much anymore. Um, before we started off, Mike, before I recorded, I kind of was saying a good movie to watch is The Red Dot. Uh, Amanda and I watched it uh, on Friday night. It's a Swedish, I mean, it's psychological slash horror slash whatever kind of a film. It's really good. It's one of those movies that really makes you feel uh like you're you're guessing throughout the whole entire movie and you get to the end and i don't know about you amanda but i was like this makes me feel very very uncomfortable um but the red dot very good and then if you like slow burn like sci-fi slash kind of like horror-ish uh they're both of these movies are on netflix and i'm sure most most people most cool people have netflix <laughs> um and yeah so they're both on netflix and the other one's called the block island sound slow burn these movies are both only about an hour and a half so it's not too much time to invest so yeah yep yep and as very good highly recommend both of those i would recommend the red dot more um red dot is swedish but it's uh english dubbed you know by american people so it's a good movie and Yes, uh, Amanda just put it. If you're on the live stream, for some apparent reason, our computer, our computer is not working all that well. I don't know why it's not connecting, but our computer. Uh, I don't. Know, I think it just kind of rejected the credentials for for this. So if you see not the Revolution Church Minneapolis on your scroll going there, um, Amanda's just gonna let us know what the questions are if she writes back that's from the revolution church minneapolis feed you gotta love technology you gotta love technology um yeah so anybody who watches this live if you are in the twin cities area i highly recommend coming down to support bryant lake bowl um i can't tell you how many times um, i'm so appreciative of of them and what they're doing and uh letting us back in in a time of covid i know we're a very small group there's four of us in here currently right now um 
they would they didn't have to do this but i'm just over the moon for that so i would say if you're in the cities um support them come down here you know this is a local establishment that's been here for i think 30 plus years almost as long as i've been alive and you know you can come in here on sundays come to church here you can go bowling uh you can have some good grub and and have some good strong drink whether your strong drink is coffee a beer bloody mary whatever you choose so very very good i would also want to say uh go online and watch this it's pretty epic someone curtis you sent me this but i also saw it on the news that morning that there was this this local company here in minneapolis that makes really awesome uh drone videos and there's not like oh it's a drone video flying over like a field it, it, these people are super, super professional. I did see that uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves are a professional basketball team. This, this same group of guys uh, drove like the drone through like the Target Center where they play and kind of did like a hype video. And so they, they are the next one they did here to Bryant Lake Bowl. And people all over uh, the internet are losing their minds in a good way. Um, it was like I guess James Gunn, who who did Guardians of the Galaxy movies. He wants the film guys to come out there, and when they make the third one, I guess the the manager here on the weekends at Brian Lake Bow, who was interviewed, like it's blowing up like Elijah Wood. All these people in Hollywood are like, "This is amazing! This is fantastic!" Not that it's just a good video, but, like, this restaurant is really cool. So uh, not that Bryant Lake Bowl needed any more exposure because they're already a very well-known place, but uh, people are, are getting more of the word out there of of how cool this place is. And I love it. You can have a beer, coffee, whatever, having a good time. So that's very exciting. Very, very, very excited indeed. And I'm awesome. it's awesome that we get to... Um, have a place like this to have church, right? Come on. Um, I am not talking about purity culture this week, um, which people might take a guess to be like, what? You're not talking about that? Because, you know, you could talk about it ad nauseum. Um, I have I have enough stories and stuff in my arsenal where I could keep talking about it for, for weeks and weeks. I could do like a Galatians talk like Jay does for like eight weeks but on purity culture, but I am not going to do that. I was talking to my friend Scotty. I'm going to take a sip of coffee here. I was talking to my friend Scotty, who is a pastor, friend of mine, we best friends, um, and he's a minister, and he, me and him interact differently on Facebook. He, I would say he's a lot more, uh, what's the word, uh, PC, maybe a less abrasive than I am. But I was kind of talking to him a week or two ago, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't... Because I, as people knew, I had wrote a post a couple of weeks back which got caught fire and kind of got me in trouble and just whatever. And people were trying to talk to me about the scripture and, well, oh, there's this, there's this, this is wrong, this is right, so on and so forth. So Scotty kind of put this idea in my head is, why don't you just preach... A sermon or give a talk about like what the Bible isn't or what the Bible isn't and kind of more going through the issue that that people have with the Bible is people take it as a literal thing and 
and are not looking at it for the metaphorical, for the mythical, for the historical context, and they're looking at it as a strict, straight, um, everything in this in this thing that we call the scripture, the Bible, is, is true. So if you're taking notes, not saying you have to, but if you're taking notes, the title of this talk is called What the Bible Isn't. So how many of us are told that everything in the Bible was true? Just alluded to that. Um, I was. I'm sure the people here who are alive, everyone raised their hand. Because if... And I, and I feel like if you, if you don't, to those churches, and I, I'm, I'm going to preface it, it's more evangelical, more um, conservative churches that are telling you that everything in the Bible is true. Like the church that I have went to the last eight years when I was doing ordination stuff, the UCC, they'll, they'll they even say in some of their like official statements, uh, we take the Bible, tr- uh, we take the Bible, um, uh, I forget Amanda how it exactly is. It's like we take the uh, the Bible seriously, but not literally. That's it. So they're saying like we take the scripture as important stories, important things to live by, but we don't take it as the true inerrant uh, word of God. Uh, and I really like that. Uh, I know I'm sure other denominations have that, but that I, that always has stuck with me in all these years. Like we take the Bible seriously, but we don't take it literally. Um, so I was taught that. So I was taught everything from the creation st- story, the narrative, Daniel and the lions, then Jonah and the whale, uh, the death and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Bless you. Um, all that stuff, all the way to Revelation. I was told all that stuff was, you know, truth. It was God's gospel truth. Every everything in there was truth, accurate. Nothing was, you know, nothing was out of place. Three terms I'm going to say, and I'm not going to go directly out of Bible picking out certain verses or stories, but I'm going to kind of use this overarching uh, themes and stories in the Bible. So it's going to be a little bit more of a theological talk. Uh, It's for free. We're not in school, but it's for free. (laughs) So there's these three terms in theology and how you understand Scripture. And they're inerrant or inerrancy, which is literally translated without error, infallibility, which literally means, uh, you know, the Bible could have some errors. Most likely the errors are punctuation, this period, comma, whatever is not in the right place, but literally everything else is accurate. Those stories are in there accurate. And then there's authoritativeness. And authoritativeness just means they don't look at inerrancy or infallibility as legit things they look at it authoritativeness me just looks like oh the bible has the bible has authority because i let it have authority in my life not authority like uh so someone might be like somebody could be like well i don't really believe that you know i don't really believe that the story of Jesus is true. Some people might be like, yeah, you know, I don't really believe that the resurrection was true or that Jesus was a real person, so on and so forth. But, or they might say, I can't prove that historically or factually, but I believe in it because I think the Bible is this authoritative piece of of scripture, piece of literature. I I hold more to an authoritative view 
not that I have to, and I, I don't hold that a kind of authoritativeness uh, firmly or super strong. Um, Travis, so you left behind you. Sorry, we just we have a newbie, and we gotta show him where the bathroom is. Um, so yeah, so there there's those three understandings of of scripture and i know a lot of people who don't who don't um hold to any of those views um and you don't have to as somebody who believes in jesus hold to inerrancy infallibility or authoritative authoritativeness i say that the bible is authoritative to me because i just I, i i want the stories in the bible to have authority on how I do things. Not saying I agree with every story in the Bible that it's true, without error, whatever, but I I give it authority because I choose to give it authority. And one thing that people don't realize too about the Bible is that in the original manuscripts, so the people who wrote the Bible, the the men who wrote the Bible, they wrote they wrote it like stream of consciousness, stream of thought. They sat down they just what so take the book of i don't know first kings when they sat down and wrote first kings it wasn't like okay chapter 1 verse 1 da, 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 da. that was something different they literally just had a stream of consciousness and they wrote all this stuff down and it was while we canonized the scripture and when the the men and all the different councils uh, I don't know if it was like Council of Nicaea, and you know there was a Council of, uh, uh, there's like ten of them. Um, but when they started doing all this, um, what books are in the canon? They more or less. Uh, that's when they put all the punctuations. That's when they put the periods, chapter breaks. Oh, this is what this theme is, so on and so forth. And I'll get more into that towards the end. So it was very interesting. Um, and I just want to hit on so there was a in seminary when I was doing my master's degree I wrote I thought at the time it was a very provocative piece but as I said I grew up in the sons of God they literally said everything everything in the Bible was true and errant this really happened and so you have Jonah and the whale and I think that's a great, I think it's a great story. I think it would make a fantastic film, especially with all the, um, especially with all the uh, special effects and stuff that we can have. But I don't think it's a true story because if something like that happened, why didn't we have other, under, or not interpretations, other, um, I guess, instances throughout history where something like that could have happened. It's just this one little thing that we look at and we're like, oh, Jonah and the Whale, that's totally cool. That's that's fine. That's normal. And when you just sit back and like with your rationalistic brain or with reason, you, you're kind of like, that doesn't really make sense. Now, I'm not saying God couldn't in God's whatever power or infiniteness just send this massive whale or fish. And most likely what people think it was, if it was true, would in essence, be one of those like sperm whales or beluga whales. These massive fishes, you know, we kind of look at it as like, oh, could it be like a big, you know, salmon or a northern or, or like a, a 
a bass. No, it was probably, if it did happen, it could have probably been a fish, like a sperm whale, beluga whale, whatever. But I, I just, the, the, I look at the story of Jonah and I'm like, that's not a real factual story. And, and people might be like, oh, Brian, how, uh, how do you know? How do you know that it's not real or not? I don't. I really don't. But when you look at Scripture, you're like, what are the th-? And that's why I would tell anybody. You look at Scripture and what are the themes? What's the point? What, do you, what, is, what, is, the author, what is the author's intent? What are they trying to glean from this? And so if you look at, and so I wrote in this paper, yeah, I think Jonah's fictitious. I don't, not saying Jonah wasn't a real person, but I think the story of Jonah is, because Jonah's only four chapters, I think the story of what Jonah is, is more of uh, if God calls you to do something and you run away from doing it or you have a bad attitude, in the end, God's going to get his way. It's just what it is. Because the story of Jonah was Jonah was this prophet of God. Um, He told him God called Jonah to go to the Ninevites, which the Ninevites were, according to Scripture, this this very secular, very anti-God, anti-Christian group of, you know, city. You know, they were pagans. They were all this. And then Jonah was like, I'm not going there. Screw that. Like, these people are losers. You know. I'm I'm giving some creative, uh, I guess, language, but more or less like I'm not going to go there, whatever, you can't make me do it. And so wherever he was at, he took a ship, took a boat, and while he was on that boat or the ship trying to go to the next place, that's when this whole thing of the whale happened. And it's funny because in Jonah, like, he ends up going to Nineveh, talking to these people. These people turn from their wicked ways and become followers of Yahweh, which is God in the Old Testament. And, and But you still see Jonah, he did it in a pissed off way. Because he was sitting under, like, I think a fig tree or something. But that, 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 like, what I'm saying, that story doesn't have to be true to get the message and to get the meaning, if people are following me. Another one that I like to look at is, is uh, Job. And... We know the story of Job, and if if not, I'll just say it real quick. The story of Job was this very uh, rich, uh, financially uh, rich in farmland. He was a farmer. Uh, he, He had a big family. He had a wife. He had a whole bunch of kids. And apparently how the narrative, how the story goes was that Jesus, like, Jesus and, and the devil pretty much had this conversation, and the devil was like, who's one of your most faithful servants, God? And God was like, Job. Job is one of my most faithful, honest servants. And so Job, or so God was like, uh, or the devil was like, so um, I'm going to pretty much take everything away from him, destroy everything, and then he's going to turn from you. So pretty much looking at it as, this in our context now, you're a rich lawyer, you have a beautiful house, you have a beautiful family, and more or less, God's going to let the devil just take all that away from you, take all your worldly possessions, take your health, take all this stuff, and then at the end of the day, more or less, he's like, you're, he's going to turn away from it. Hey! Good, good. Um, we, have an, we have another person here. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Reggie. Um, hopefully you found, found the place okay. 
uh, they're going to come back and see if you want food. So if you want food, great. If not, um, so for, for those of you who are listening to this when it comes out in a week or two on the podcast, you know, there's going to some of this stuff you might be like, who, what are you talking about, Brian? Well, it's just people coming in here and there um, at different times. So bear with me. Um, but so like with Job, you know, this this happens where the where God lets the devil take all this stuff away from Job. Uh, Job loses his cattle. I think it was like, and he had hundreds and hundreds of, of cattle. I mean, just think of the, like the, one of the most successful farmers that you could think of. And all that was taken away. All that was taken away from him. Um, then his kids, if I'm not mistaken, his kids started dying. His kids started, uh, you know, I don't either dying or got like leprosy or boils, whatever this horrible stuff. Um, his family turned on him. His family was like, "Oh, it's God that's doing this to you. It's God that is, the, is doing this to you." And then you see at the end of Job, because Job's a longer um, book; it's like 30, 30 chapters. But at the end, what is really telling is more or less Job turns turns to his wife because his wife's like you should give up on everything god you know god took this from you 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 know you should be wealthy you should have all this stuff and job looks at his wife and is like this isn't god's fault this isn't god's fault he didn't even say it was the devil's fault it was just like this is life this is what happens and i look at the story of job as again not a factual thing could it could it be factual yeah absolutely but we don't know if it's factual. We don't know if if it's truth. But what we don't, what we shouldn't worry about, if is it if it's real or not, and what the meaning is behind it. And the meaning behind literally the whole narrative of Job is if everything was taken from you, if your job, if your spouse, if your kids, everything that makes you who you are right now if everything was taken to you from you would you therefore turn on your faith would you turn against god and that is that is that message that that is that message that i think the author of job whoever that was and what people need to realize is scripture is like any other or the bible is like any other book it's written in in different genres you know i like reading crime novels i like reading horror novels those are specific genres so i know when i go into a store you know if you go to barnes and noble or something it's be like psychology self-help horror romance you know when you go into a bookstore there's these certain genres of books that you're going to get and that's all that's going to be in there so job is in the bible it's under uh, a portion of scripture called the wisdom um wisdom books and so like psalms proverbs job those are all wisdom those are all wisdom books meaning and wisdom when you look it up doesn't necessarily mean that's factual it's that when you read these books when you read these chapters you're going to glean wisdom out of it and so i look at job as one of those books of the bible where it's like you know i'm going to get a lot of wisdom out of here and it doesn't have to be uh, a factual thing um, for that to happen um, so, now getting a little bit more, um, to piss certain, some people off, maybe. 
and I wouldn't be Brian or myself if I didn't say this. So, one of the reasons I left evangelical Christianity, and I've said this to a lot of my friends, family, and I'm sure some people who are watching might know, is uh, especially how the evangelical church treats uh, the GLBT, GLBTQIA plus community. Because I was always, I, wasn't, I was told by my church, told by my family to love, accept everyone, no matter what. And I did. And my mom can tell you and attest that in, in our church growing up, like we had Sunday school, but then the service, you, especially when you were younger, you, you once a month you sat with your parents. You know, you, they, they had Sunday school, youth group, whatever, but you would sit with your parents. And then they had Sunday night service where our, our family always went to Sunday morning service and Sunday night. Um, and there were these little, like, note cards with pencils in the church pew, and the note cards would be like, oh, for prayer requests, or there were, like, tithe cards. And I would always listen to my pastor, and that's why I, I laugh that I'm kind of a pastor to this day, because it must have done something to me as a kid. But I remember writing on these note cards, like, my, my pastor at the time would say, oh, church, you know, the Bible says this, where we need to invite, you know, love everyone and love our neighbor as ourselves and, you know, all this and all that. And at eight, nine, ten years old, I would, in my really crappy penmanship, I would, like, write questions down. I would be like, if, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, why is everyone at church white? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, where's, where's my gay friends? If I'm supposed to love everyone, where are the people who look differently, act differently, think differently than me? And this was at 8, 9, 10 years old, and my, my mom and dad would always joke, like, you're weird, Brian, just because what 8 or 9 or 10-year-old kid would think like that? But that was me. I, I, I don't know if I've had a more critical kind of engagement kind of mind. But then, and I, I didn't have anybody in my immediate family or my cousins who are, who are queer, but the older I got and I got into college and I kind of, and I grew up here in the Twin Cities, but you're kind of insular with family or friends and you want to be with people who look and act and think like you. So I was very insular in who I had as friends and, and, and people who were close to me. But... When I got to college and I went to school in downtown Minneapolis and you saw people coming from all walks of life and then you saw, you saw people who, who identified as a gay man or as a gay woman or bisexual and it just, all these thoughts started popping into my head and I'm like, well, I was, I'm told to, I hate the whole thing, but I'm going to say it like, hate the sin, love the sinner, and that, which is it, it, shitty. It's a shitty thing to say because you're pretty much devaluing a person like, hey, you know what? I like you and I love you, but I just love you because this, my faith tells me I have to. But really, at the end of the day, I, I don't value you as a person, but I love you because I'm supposed to kind of a thing. So it's like this extremely backhanded compliment. Well, then the more and more I studied scripture, the more and more I went to school and especially in seminary, and there was the, and I mean, and I went to conservative, super, super conservative schools where there were gay men and women, bisexual, you know, just wherever on the queer continuum, I, I met these people. And when I started reading scripture, and especially the scriptures 
where it talked about homosexuality. And, you know, I have family and friends that will be like, well, Brian, uh, it says here in whatever part they use one of these homosexuality scripture verses. And I'll tell people there's really six out of all the entire Bible from beginning to end. There's six verses that talk about homosexuality. Six. And they only talk about, there's one, I forget, it's in the New Testament, uh, where it's like, men shouldn't lay with men, women shouldn't lay with women, blah, blah, blah. But other than, in those verses, and I'll tell this to people, as Christians, we're supposed to mimic Jesus. We're supposed to mimic the teachings of Jesus and what Jesus says to whatever. Jesus never once, once talked about sexuality or, or that much, and he never talked about homosexuality. And like I say, it doesn't matter where you are on conservative views of the Bible, liberal views of the Bible, we all cherry pick to make our view make more sense to us. So conservative Christians will be like, oh, I'm going to take the Bible literally, and I'm going to take this verse here, this verse here, and then I'm going to make it make sense to my head and give myself validation. Liberal Christians, progressive Christians, we do the same thing. We're like, ah, that view is problematic. I don't like it. Uh, I don't believe in hell, so I'm going to go to this verse. Because I'll say, there are, it's almost like choose your own adventure. If you remember those books, like those choose, you would read a chapter, and it's like, oh, turn to page 200 for this. Turn to 150 for this. And it's totally different stories. It makes you look at this that book in a totally different way. And that's a lot like scripture, where you can go this way, and the Bible is going to be really rigid and do's and don'ts, and then if you go this way, the Bible is going to be this open, free, uh, awesome book uh, full of stories. I choose to go to the way where, ah, it's not literally, it's, a lot of it's metaphorically, it's not all factual, and that makes me understand and appreciate scripture in a totally different, beautiful, wonderful way. But my point is, there's this culture war, especially in America, between evangelical Christianity and liberal Christianity, where even, and another, two, two main reasons why I left the evangelical kind of faith is they, they built their whole ideology on people's sex, sex and sexuality, what they do with their bodies. So the big thing within the evangelical thing is uh, gay marriage and like gay rights and abortion. And I just, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've gotten with family, old co-workers, friends, just random people that are like, oh, you, you're pro-choice, Brent? Yeah, I'm pro-choice. And like I've told people, for my wife and I, we've said when we got pregnant, we're pro-life because we want to have that child. We're parents. We're going to choose to raise our daughter and, and pay for her, pay for her high school and school and all this stuff. But I, as a man can't tell any woman, nor should I tell a woman what they she can and cannot do with her body, and neither does, should the church. But yet you have this whole segment of Christianity saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to tell you what to do with your body, and you, you know why? Because God told me what you should do with your body, and they go back to these intensely out-of-context scriptures. So, for instance, uh, how I realized that homosexuality wasn't a sin is because when you look in the New Testament when it talked about men laying with other men, what people don't realize 
especially when the Old and New Testament times, and the Old and New Testament times spanned over a number of thousands of years, like two or three thousand years. Well, actually, probably more than that, more like probably like five, five thousand years or more. But what people don't realize is that time, that part of modern day, what now is Israel, there was war upon war upon war upon war. Always, always war. Always, we, we, we get kind of war sick here in our country because it seems like we're in senseless wars. Exacerbate that by 10 times, 100 times. And that's what it was like in biblical times. There was always these wars and bloodshed. But what, what would happen... So mind you, all these soldiers, these men, they were away from their spouse, they were away from their wives for weeks, months, potentially years. They had a sex drive. They were horny. They wanted to spill their seed, not to sound crude, but that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to get off. But what they talk about in homosexuality in, in the New Testament specifically was a form of... Uh, of rape to the soldiers who lost. So, the, and, and not to be crude, but rape is a form of humiliation. Uh, it's obviously not consent, consensual. It's a, a way of control. It's a way of uh, emasculating in certain ways. And so what these, what the winners, what these, the, the victors in a war, what they would do is instead of killing these potential the potential losing side is they would rape them. They would rape them as an ultimate form of humiliation as to be like, oh, not only did you lose, but we're going to rape you. So when you go back to your, your town, your village, not only are you going to have to say you lost, but we took something from you. We took something valuable from you. We took part of who you are. And so that was one of the aspects. And then the other aspect is they had a really bad, and this wasn't just in, in like Israel, this was in Corinth, in Laodicea, in Thessalonica, where, you, you know, you read these books in the Bible, where a lot of these port cities, a lot of the towns and villages, they had a lot of, uh, uh, in essence, pediatry, which what pediatry was, was literally uh, the raping of young boys. So in prostitution, all that stuff, that's, that's the world's oldest profession. So there was prostitutes in Bible times. There was straight prostitutes. There was queer prostitutes across the board. And what a lot of powerful men would do, kings, servants, you know, shepherds, lawyers, tax collectors, all these wealthy people would literally go to have these desires and they would go rape these young boys as a total, like, oh, that's a natural thing to do. Well, these gospel writers, these writers in the New Testament times, they got wind of this. They knew, they knew these things were happening. And so when they talk about homosexuality, that's what they're talking about. They're not saying, you know, Jim and Tim over here are two people who love each other, want to have a committed relationship, want to be married to one another, and live their life just like a man and I as a husband and wife want to live. They weren't talking about that. They were talking about you are using, you know, same gender on gender sex as a, a perversion in that way because you're raping them. You're not doing it consensually. And that is, in my opinion, when they talk about homosexuality, that is what they're talking about. They're not talking about consensual, loving, 
uh, monogamous togetherness with somebody of the same gender. Um, and I'm not going to get into like polyamorous relationships and whatever, but strictly speaking on like homosexuality. And, and until I didn't know that until seminary. And I learned that in like an evangelical school. And then it was just like this unveiling in my brain and in my head. And I was like, that makes total sense. And I'm like, because I want, I want God to appreciate my relationships with, with a, at the time with a girl that I was dating. I want God to appreciate the relationship I have with my wife and to say, yeah, that's honoring. But even if I was Amanda, I am Amanda's husband, but if I went to her and was like, you know, I'm going to have sex with you whenever I want. Um, uh, you're going to say, no, I'm going to still, I'm going to still do it anyway, which is, would be rape. It's non-consensual. God would still be displeased in that. God would just be like, what, what are you doing? Like, this is wrong. This is inappropriate. So what I'm saying is when you look at scripture, especially on like sex and sexuality, so, so there's a segment of the church that will literally say, oh yeah, that's normal. That's, you know, that, that being gay is, is fine and, and it's accepted and I'm in that camp. Because we look at those, they call them clobbering passages, and they're like, that's metaphorical. That's not real. It's for this certain time and a certain place. And then you have more evangelical people. They're like, yep, it's wrong because it says it right here. It's because they have, in their opinion, they have to look at Scripture in that way. And if they don't look at Scripture in that way, then then they crumble. And then they're going to be like, oh, okay. Before I go on, what time is it? Because I got to be careful of time. Okay. I just want to be respectful of Brian, like Bull's time. Um, anyway, I could go on and on about that. But you see what the Bible is and isn't. And what the Bible isn't is this the Bible isn't a rule book of yes, no, uh, I can't drink, I can't smoke. Uh, that was a whole little thing, like growing up in the church. There was this phrase, I kid you not, and anybody who's watching it could could say this or whatever, could maybe attest, don't drink, don't smoke, and don't girl don't go with girls who do. It was Oh yeah, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't girl go with girls who do. Which, come on, if I don't want to be with a girl who doesn't drink or smoke or chew. I'm just kidding. Because Amanda doesn't drink that much or smoke or chew. So bye Felicia. No, um, I'm just kidding. But that was just, that was that kind of understanding of how people um, use, their, use their understanding. And, and I'm never going to go to someone and be like, hey, your faith, I'm going to try to totally tell you to, you know, break it down, kick it out. But I, I, I would be a bad pastor. I would be a bad person if I didn't, didn't tell people like, hey, you know, there's another side to the story. There's another way of viewing scripture. There's another way of, of looking at it. And they say, and this is what I was told to me in, in seminary, when someone gets to be like 18 to like 20, 21, those views that he or she has are probably going to be views that they have until they die. Because they don't want to switch it. They don't want to change it. Because if I asked someone that I knew who was super conservative, super evangelical, who thought gay marriage and homosexuality was a sin, it would be very, very, very hard for them to just kick that to the wayside and to totally go on this different path. Should they? Yes. Is it a long, arduous road? Yes. 
but so so many Christians don't want to do that because of all the hard work. They might lose friends, they might lose family members, they might their their in group, their friend group, their click group might turn their back on them. I've lost tons of friends because of my views over the years. Uh, I actually, and I joke with a man, I had a girl that I dated in college for a hot minute that broke up with me because she was like, I, uh, I have to break up with you because your theology doesn't line up with my parents. That's, that's her whole reason. She liked me. We had a good time. Great person she was. And I'm like, okay, you're breaking up with me because I don't agree with your parents' theology. Okay, who's close-minded and narrow-minded, me or you? <laughs> It is what it is. And I could go on more and more about that, but I think we get the gist. I think we get the point. And there was a book written. Maybe we can find it up and put it in the show notes. But it was this, he's a cantankerous old man. Um, he's a Methodist pastor and teacher. His name is Stanley Hauervoss. Brilliant guy. Just crotchety old Methodist Texan actually teaches at Duke Divinity School, which is a very prestigious school. And he wrote a book, if I'm not mistaken, in like the late 80s. And it, the I forget what it was about. My cousin Matt showed it to me. And he, he uh, it, the, the book, you know, so I think it was like the late 80s, early 90s. So we all had a ton of stuff on there. Yeah, um, let me see. Amanda's showing me it. Uh... He's written so many books. Oh, yeah. So the book is by Stanley Hauervoss. It's called Unleashing the Scripture, and it was actually written in 1993. And I can't see, though. But it's literally uh, a Bible wrapped with the American flag. And his whole thesis in that book was saying the worst thing we could possibly do as Christians is giving the Bible to every single person in America. Because the Bible is a book that's very difficult to understand. The Bible, unless you are trained in to how to understand the Bible, which is literally the fancy word is hermeneutics, which is the art and science of interpretation, unless you're told how to read the Bible and how to read it critically, how you should read it metaphorically or mythologically, all that stuff that it's, we should not give every person the Bible because how many people do you see, how many of these televangelist preachers or uh, people who are like, give me money, give me money, give me money, and they're on like these billion-dollar jets and all this stuff. They don't, they didn't, they're just reading the scripture as the, a get-rich-quick scheme. And so Stanley Hauervoss, this whole thing is we've nationalized our, our, the faith Every country probably will put their spin on it. I know as Americans, one of the most disgusting things I see when I walk into a church is having a Christian flag and then having an American flag all wrapped up in another. Why, why in the world do, do you go to a church and there's... And I think that's the most stupid thing is having a Christian flag. Why, why, is, why, is, <laughs> why do we have a flag? in our faith. It just doesn't make any sense. But then the nationalistic side of you having the American flag, I'm not saying don't be proud of your country, this whatever, but it's how Ross's whole thing is we say that we need uh, everyone to read the Bible, and he's like, no, we don't, unless you can probably understand it properly. 
in in the and not just in an academic way, but like I said, in that in a very real way, learn how to understand it. Then don't because if you don't understand that, uh, like Corinthians wasn't written to us. So many people are like, well, Corinthians says this. Well, Corinthians wasn't written to Christians, 21st century America. It wasn't. And that's another point I was going to go into. Every, when you read scripture, so if I open up to 1 Corinthians, I'm like, oh, this is some good stuff in here. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the love, you know, like the whole love chapter, like love is this, love is that, love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't boast. That's all great things. That wasn't written to us. That was written to the church in Corinth, which was a legit city. And Paul wrote that because Paul, you know, that was Paul's whole missionary journey was he was going to all these towns and villages talking about God and writing specifically to the needs of these people that he was seeing and that they were experiencing. So he wrote these books. And then when, so when I tell people, yes, Corinthians is important, Ephesians is important, Galatians, all of these New Testament epistles that Paul wrote and Peter, they were all written to certain people. It would be like if I was Paul and I, I, I went to Des Moines or I went to Duluth and I was writing to these people in this context, writing a scripture or writing a book about it, and then people 2,000, 3,000 years down the road are like, well, this is God's gospel truth. This is just really how it had to happen. This is legit. And it was like, I feel like Paul, Peter, they would be back and be like, I'm not saying that this is 100% actually how it happened, or this is factual. I was writing to this group of people at this specific time in this specific place. And that goes back to the other parts of scripture where it's like, don't take the Bible literally or, or, um, or factually all the time and let the Bible just say, what kind, of, what kind of knowledge, what kind of gleaning can I get from this? And when you look at Scripture that way, it's less of a rule book, it's less of a guidebook, and it's a book of m- mismatched, messed up men and women just trying to understand life, trying to understand God, trying to understand their community, trying to understand everything about, you know, everything about them. And the one last thing I'll say, and then I want to wrap up and then open it up for questions because I think we got some comments um, scrolling in. There is a, a, I don't listen to his podcast as much anymore, but one of his, his books that's just fantastic, and we can probably put it in the show notes, is uh, he's a, a scholar. Uh, his name is Pete Enns. Uh, Pete, and then his last name's E-N-N-E-S. And he wrote this book called The Sin of Certainty. Very easy book. You don't have to be a scholar or a seminarian to write it or to read it. But literally the whole thrust of his book is when you say, and literally it's his thesis is like the name of his book, when you read scripture or look at your faith and you're like, I'm certain, I am certain that this happened. I am certain that Jesus died and rose again. I am certain that these scripture verses are right. I am certain that this is the way it is. That's sinning. That's his whole point. That's sinning. And what I've said before, if you've listened, all that sinning means, if you look at it in the, in, in, in the original language, is missing the mark. And so his whole thrust is, if you're looking at these if you look at the Bible and you, and you have this like, I know God did this. I know that these verses are right. I know that this is this. 
his entire thrust of his book is saying, that's sinful, that is missing the mark, that is not how we're supposed to look at Scripture. We're supposed to look at Scripture with an open mind. We're supposed to look at Scripture with, is this a teachable moment in here? We're supposed to look at the wisdom literature and be like, what wisdom can I glean in here to make my life better and to maybe make my neighbor's lives better? And it's not, it's not, and I feel, and when I was talking to Scotty about this, he's like, this is what is destroying the church, not just in America, but worldwide. What's destroying the church is you have camps of people in whatever denomination, and they're like, my way's right, your way's wrong, my way's right, your way's wrong. Both sides bickering at each other saying, well, if, unless you believe it this way, unless you believe it that way, and you do it this way, and they're just not. First of all, and I will say this is what Jay says, and it's so true, we can't disagree well anymore. We've sucked at arguing together or debating because then when someone always gets butt hurt and their feelings hurt, and we just need to look at Scripture, and I'm very, if you can't tell, I'm very passionate about this. Uh, We got to look at Scripture in a very, uh, we can't be defensive about it. We can't look at it as like, clobbering verses no matter what side you you know you land on because I, I people who know me i don't believe in a literal hell i don't believe in a literal satan and people are like well they talk about hell and satan in the bible and i was like yeah they do but jesus doesn't really talk about it other people who are attributed to jesus talk about it and i'm like if jesus said that he died on the cross for everyone that means everyone regardless of what you how long ago you've lived, if you're born yet, so on and so forth. You know, and and I'm like, I just don't want to believe in a God that's, uh, uh, you know, worse than Hitler. You know? And that's that's one thing I tell people, and this is my soapbox, and I'll shut up after this, but like I tell people, you know, I think everyone's in heaven. And they're like, oh, even Hitler? I'm like, yeah, even Hitler. Well, oh my God, he killed six million Jews. Yes, that is a terrible, horrendous thing. But I said, when God died on the cross, and he's like, this is, you know, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'm like, that, that's literally saying, no, people are that, humans are that dumb, we don't know what we're doing. And I said, and I don't believe in a hell because if you li- believe in Christianity and the stringent, like, you have to have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. First of all, Christianity as a faith is not insular and singular, it's communal, it's plural, it's massive. It's not a singular thing. Like, read the scripture, read Jesus. The kingdom of God is like this. As he never says it's personal, it's all, you know, by yourself, it's this little thing. It's, it's, it's all of what I just said. But I tell people, if you believe Hitler was bad and evil, which he was, and killed six million people, which is a horrendous thing, we all know the story. But then if you look at Jesus and... Of all the, I mean, there's what, 7 billion people in the world? And you look through when humanity was created to when it's going to end. Jesus would be the most biggest murderer in the world because he was, if you look at it, Jesus, if you don't believe in Jesus as your personal savior, then you're going to go to hell. We have all been told that. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, then you're going to go to hell. You have to have this personal relationship. Well, then, then God knew in his infinite foreknowledge that when he created this human race, that the majority of the people he created are going to burn in hell for all of eternity, and a few select chosen are going to go into heaven and be there etern- you know, eternity. 
And I'm like, how does that not make God this vindictive, jerk, terrible dictator, dictator kind of God? And when you see, and then I know I'll probably get pushed back for this, but that really what made me start believing, like, is there really a hell? Because if God is love, the epitome of love is acceptance, love, caring no matter what. And then I was told that, oh, but if you don't believe in Jesus, then you're going to be apart from him and all your loved ones who accepted him and you're going to burn in hell for all of eternity. How is that loving? That's not. That's not loving. And so, but people who read the Bible with that eye of the Bible is exactly the way it is and it's perfect and without error and whatever. And I'm like, mm, if you look at it that way, you're going to get those clobbering views of like, and even talking with Scotty and some of my other friends, there's nowhere in Scripture where it says you have to have a personal relationship of Jesus Christ. It says, Jesus says, the two greatest verses or the two greatest things in life is have no other gods besides me and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That is the crux of the gospel of Jesus. And people are like, well, that means it's a personal relationship. I said, no, all that that means is if I look at Reggie or Curtis or anybody in this room and I'm like, do you believe in God? Yep. There you go. That's all that it means. That's what it means. You're, you're saying, yep, I believe in who God is. I'm not asking for your theology on this, this. It's literally saying, I believe in God. I believe that God is God. And then you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the crux of the Bible and what the gospel is. Everything else is just minor details. Anyway, I got pretty, pretty hopped up there. Maybe it's the coffee that did it. So, that's, that's, uh, gosh, I don't know why I went that deep, but I did, I did, I did what I did. Um, is there any questions? And we're not, for people watching, we're not uh, audioed up here or whatever because we're such a small group. However, why I'm talking into the microphone is we record on our little H6 because this is also a podcast. We do three things. We're recording on our H6 for the podcast. We're doing live here on my phone with the ring light. And then we're here live. So three things in one. So if, and I was told by our editor um, of the podcast, Caleb Bro, good old Caleb Bro, that if we, people want to ask questions, I'll just flip the mic around to talk. So then um, we can hear what the questions are and I can answer it back. Is it around 12 right now? Okay. We'll probably give like 10 minutes and then we got to, Make make sure we get out here because we ought to be out here by twelve thirty. I think Amanda, your sister, had wrote something earlier. I thought. Yeah, uh, Natalie wrote. It's not easy to challenge our views, but I'm so happy you are out here starting the conversation. Still, thank you, Natalie. Um, it's my sister-in-law. Uh, yeah. I, I, and I'm not out here, and I've, and I've told anybody, everyone in this room knows me to a certain degree. I, I'm not here to make you think in a different way. I'm, I'm here to say there's more than one way. I'm, I'm here to say the, the way that maybe you are taught is right. Maybe it's not. I'm here to say have an open mind, have, have an open dialogue. To, it's just uh, life is all about searching. It's searching for meaning, it's searching for acceptance, it's searching for the divine, it's searching for yourself, who you are as a person, like this existential dread, who am I, what am I here to do? And I just want to have conversations. You can ask my coworkers who are here, Reggie and, <laughs> and Travis, 
I won't shut up at work sometimes because I, and it's not because I want that attention. It's I'm like, we're communal humans. We're meant to be in community with one another. We're supposed to ask each other questions and, 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 you know, be with one another. And that's a great and an amazing thing. And so I appreciate comments like yours, Natalie, where I'm here just trying to start conversations with people. I'll be the first one to tell you, I don't have all the answers. Good Lord, no one does. But I'm here to try to have these conversations to start dialogues. And and I tell and I kind of joke with people, uh, if you want to come here and help your faith be more robust and look at it in a different way, you're welcome here. If you want to come here and you're already an atheist or agnostic and this just drives you to be more agnostic or atheistic, good on you. That's fine. I, you know, I'm not here to change anyone's perspective. I'm here to have an open place of dialogue and questions and probably very little answers. Anybody else? Anybody out? Anybody out here have questions? Uh, this is weird. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I went to um, undergrad college to and studied religion as my major, and uh, I just wanted to. Ch- say real quickly that I had one professor that I feel like um, did me a solid in the way that he presented uh, studying the Bible in which he uh, wanted us to utilize our critical thinking skills and so he throughout the entire uh, multiple uh, semesters actually um, refused to give his own viewpoint on how he thought that uh, scripture should be interpreted and instead just presented us with ways in which other people viewed the Bible and tried to present it in a way that was completely unbiased. Uh, And he emphasized to us a a part of scripture that um, has stuck with me since then. And uh, you know, since you as the pastor didn't uh, quote scripture at all today, you know, I figure I'll, I'll uh, pick up your slack a little bit. <laughs> um, but uh, in John eight thirty one and 32, uh, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he read that to us uh, to... Um, encourage us to not be afraid of seeking out the truth, uh, but to instead go forward into the truth, uh, recognizing that we have different ways of understanding how history works. Um, We have different ways of interpreting language that uh, we have different ways of seeing the world than the people that wrote the Bible. And it's not a scary thing to apply our current understandings of how the world works when we're trying to understand what the Bible was saying or what it means to our lives. And uh, I felt like that was a, a good approach, and I think that that's something that you're emphasizing that we should also try to seek out, and I, I appreciate you saying that sort of stuff. But uh, the funny thing was that at the end of uh, my time at college, um, there were a couple of conservatives, uh, conservative theologically students that started giving this guy a bunch of grief and they were like hey you know we're almost done with uh, being taught by you will you finally please reveal 
you know, what you think about this stuff, because it seems like you're presenting all these liberal theologians as truthful, and we see that as, like, harmful. And he actually came out and said that he is quite conservative himself. Um, but uh, I actually had taken the opposite viewpoint th by being exposed to these other sorts of theologians that he exposed me to. But he was willing to take that risk, uh, which I think was admirable of the guy, uh, to, to not try to impose upon me or the other students uh, a certain viewpoint, but instead presented objectively and, um, you know, if you come out on the other side, that that's okay, because it's in pursuit of truth. Well said, and thank you for bringing up the scripture, and even though I'm a pastor, I didn't... Well, well, I'll, my pushback to you, Curtis, would be... My pushback would say I encapsulated all of scripture in, in that. Um, Scotty, and I got to go through this quick, whoops... What is interesting is that the inerrant and infallible view of the Bible did not come come about until the late 1900s. Before that, the church was very careful with how it treated the authority of the Bible because going too far in this area makes it into a paper pope. Once the Bible becomes popish, then people can use it to commit all kinds of abuse based on their personal interpretations. That's... That's straight fire right there. Thank you, Scotty. And the one thing I will say before we wrap up is, you know, everyone says this about the Bible. The Bible is this. The Bible is inerrant. If we look at Scripture, what is, what is, what is Jesus? Because if you look at it in the Trinitarian way, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all one. They're like all one manifestations of the same, of, of God, whatever. That's a whole crazy thing to understand. But literally, literally, Jesus, or God says, I am the Word. He doesn't say the Bible's the Word of God. He says, I am the Word. So right there, when you, it, someone's like, well, the Bible says this, and the Bible says this. I'm like, God himself says, you want to look for truth? I am the truth. Me, God. And so is my son, Jesus. I, I, I'm the Word. And so that just popped up on one of my feeds on on twitter and i know this person he's a seminarian and i was like well that fits perfectly into what i'm talking about on sunday is literally like god himself in scripture through jesus says i am the word not the you know and so we look at it and we're like well the, but the bible says this and the bible says this yeah the bible says a lot of things but god himself says i am god or i am the word of god there's nothing above me there's nothing below me this is just what it is so I'll leave it at that. Thank you for your comments. Um, as I've said, um, we're not asking for donations yet. Yet. Uh, we just kind of wanted to have Revolution up and running to, to be where it's at now and probably in a few short weeks and months. Um, I'll probably turn this into more of a nonprofit thing. So if people do give money, um, then you know it's going for a nonprofit. But like I tell people all the time, if you like what we're doing, uh, support us share share this video once it's up on on facebook just if you share it because i've noticed that uh we get a lot more we're getting more uh what is that more exposure when people do that and you know like uh, like what natalie had said on there what curtis is saying is i'm not giving you i give you my view but i'm not saying you have to have my view i'm just saying let's just think more critical think more open-minded don't have closed-minded understandings of, of God, Scripture. Look at Scripture, look at the Bible with open eyes, with critical eyes, 
and you're going to understand God and Scripture in totally new and beautiful ways. So, until next time, everyone, stay safe, um, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>